0: Well, I have to do something I've never done before in my life. I'm going to sit down to preach. But uh, Michelle offered to pace for me, just to make sure you know you should feel it at home. I slipped yesterday on some ice, and I, I don't know, I tore something up, or smashed something up, or twisted something up, and I figured I had, that was yesterday morning about this time, and I knew I had to preach today, so I knew I didn't have time to go to emergency, I'd still be there. So I just put some ice on it and stuff, and, uh, and we'll see what happens from, from there. Let's pray. Almighty God, blessed be your name. And uh, we, we've sung this morning, Lord, about different uh, experiences of, of life right now. Um, you know, some people come, Uh, today the the life feels just very full and good and uh, excitement for the new year and and, uh, thrilling time. And and others of us come and it it feels like we've been, uh, some things that are precious to us and important to us have been stripped away. But we want to uh, be in that place where we say, blessed be your name. And... um, Today, Lord, we're going to look at a a king who lived with uh, great abundance and then had things stripped away and then had abundance again, and some of the things that we can learn uh, from him as we look into this this new year. And, uh, you know, we... uh, Song that the choir is singing in the musical this time next year. We don't, we don't know what the, the next year is going to bring, but we know that you will bring us through it. And so we come uh, this morning asking you to, to continue to work in our lives. And help us now to learn uh, through this testimony of this, this king whom you molded and shaped. For your glory, and his good. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. So we're coming into this uh, new year which uh, for many people, of course, the the New Year's single is a time of of change, a time for uh, goal-setting, decision-making, for looking ahead and thinking, what do I need to be different, what should be changed, all this sort of thing. And As I was thinking about that, and go through the process of of what I should uh, focus on and talk about this morning. I was reminded of the transformed heart and life described in the book of Daniel, uh, chapter 4. So you might want to turn to those if you have your Bibles. We're going to bounce around that chapter a little bit. Daniel, it's in the Old Testament, and uh, chapter 4. And it's a powerful testimony about a powerful king who was moved from from, uh, self-worship into somebody who offered up a humble, thankful worship to God, from a life that was focused in upon himself and himself really only, uh, to a life that was also uh, now changed into somebody who actually was Yahweh worship, which was quite a thing, uh, because he was a, a pagan king, he was not a, a king of Israel, but hopefully as we go through this, this story, which I find to be just a fascinating story, I'm sure many of you will know it. Um, I, I hope it kind of inspires us uh, to think about this in an upcoming year and and how we can be transformed by God and and how it is that we can partner with God and with the Holy Spirit to transform us in the months ahead into the woman or man or uh, teen or child uh, that God wants us to be. So this great story, it starts off with what, under human circumstances, you might think of as, as just sort of some justifiable pride. I mean, there's some good stuff here, uh, and this, uh, this king, um, he had reason to be proud. And the, the chapter 4 starts off with that, and we're going to read a couple of verses about it. It starts off with this, I, Nebuchadnezzar, that's the king, was at home in my palace, contented and prosperous. That's kind of the way we all want to be, isn't it? Kind of at home, uh, they say an Englishman's man, home is his palace, and so we all like to kind of be there at a home, contented and prosperous. And then skip down to verse 29. 12 years later, the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. Because he was a Babylonian king. And he said this. Is not this great Babylon I have built as a royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? This is his heart. This is King Nebuchadnezzar's heart. It's just full of pride. And he was certainly at the and it's, it. And it really is these statements about it's all about me. And everything that is about me, I did all on my own. That's kind of his life attitude. It's all about me and anything I've accomplished, which actually are great things, I did it all by myself. And so I need some stuff, some buildings, some some praise, some things to just show who exactly I am. Because a lot had been accomplished uh, under King Nebuchadnezzar. He ruled, for example, over a vast empire. The Neo-Babylonian Empire became one of the most formidable empires of the time. And uh, Nebuchadnezzar had led military campaigns and he'd expanded the Babylonian Empire and he had dominance over this whole region including Judah. And he had conquered Jerusalem and destroyed the temple. And that's how Daniel, you remember the story, that's how Daniel uh, was taken into the king's uh, court and taken away into captivity. This is, it was under Nebuchadnezzar that the Babylonian captivity that we hear about took place. We had this vast empire. He was a builder. And uh, Babylon uh, was known for architectural marvels and the architectural achievements that he did. Uh, The Hanging Gardens of Babylon, which were one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, they were done underneath King uh, Nebuchadnezzar. And he had just sort of all these these marvelous things. And his military successes uh, was, was done to take all of this and then to gather the goods from all over the place and turn them into cultural contributions of incredible. Art and literature and science and the richness of the Babylonian uh, uh, Empire really came to, a, to light and fulfilment in his under his kingdom. He, they had a thing going into the centre of the city, uh, the Babylonian uh, processional way. It was almost a kilometre long. This this road it was like seven metres or seventy metres wide, and it had. Built-in walls that were like 50 feet high, and those walls were decorated and painted with lions and dragons and symbols of Babylon. So, as you came into his into his kingdom, into the, you were overawed by the majesty of his his cultural contributions and his richness and and his power. Uh, he put in, incredible infrastructure in place. He built walls to to surround Babylon and defend it, and um, he even had like. Um, uh, irrigation systems to make sure that the crops around the city would on all kinds of infrastructure. He had took control of the trade routes and controlled all of those and took his pound of flesh out of every guy that went through. And so that made Babylon all the richer. And they put in a marvelous legal administrative structure. You don't have uh, kingdoms like that without there being infrastructure uh, and administration to make sure that things ran well. All of this was done in Nebuchadnezzar. As a matter of fact, the Bible even recognizes just kind of how powerful and how great he was. You might remember that Daniel rose to fame in Nebuchadnezzar because he interpreted a dream of the kings that nobody else could interpret. Remember that? It's the king of, of four kingdoms. And this is what it says in chapter 2, when Daniel was interpreting his first dream to him. He says this, You, O king, are the king of kings. The God of heaven has granted you sovereignty, power, strength, and honor. Wherever human beings, wild animals, and birds of the sky live, he has given them into your power. He has given you authority over them. You are the head of gold. Remember the feet of clay were the last thing. You're the head of gold. And so this whole deal is that, that God, through Daniel, said, you are actually quite an incredible king. You've accomplished amazing things But actually, uh, I did it for you, and that's the part that he forgot. Jeremiah, the prophet, before the captivity happened, had even warned about this. Jeremiah says this in chapter 27, verse 5. Consider my servant Nebuchadnezzar, that even the wild beasts would serve him. This is a statement of just how powerful and majestic and high achievement that Nebuchadnezzar had. But he forgot that God had said, my servant, Nebuchadnezzar. And that Daniel had said, God has granted you the sovereignty. And so as he rose up in this pride, uh, he was, there was some need of some discipline. So first comes another dream. God, in his mercy and his grace, uh, wants to warn Nebuchadnezzar. And so he gives him another dream. And so uh, Nebuchadnezzar, he goes through the traditional magicians and soothsayers, and they can't interpret it, which to me is a weird thing. You, you might remember, if you know the story of Daniel, he did this first already. He, You know, with the first dream, he had all the wise guys come. Remember they said the wise guys come and said, okay, you're going to tell them this dream? And they said, well, tell us what the dream is, and then we can interpret it. He says, no, if you're smart, you'll know the dream and give me interpretation. Nobody could do it, so he's going to kill them all. Remember that whole thing? And then finally somebody said, hey, there's a guy, Daniel, he can probably do it, and Daniel comes in and interprets the dream. So I don't know why he didn't go straight to Daniel with the second dream, but he didn't. He went through the whole rigmarole again first, and then finally in comes Daniel, and then he tells him the dream. So we're in verses 13 through 17 is this dream. So in the visions I saw while lying in bed, I looked, and there before me was a holy one, a messenger coming down from heaven, and he called out in a loud voice, cut down the tree and trim off all of its branches. Strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the animals flee from under it and the birds from its branches. But let the stump and its roots bound with iron and bronze remain in the ground, in the grass of the field. So they're going to cut it down, going to leave a stump and going to bind it with with iron uh, so that it doesn't split. Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven and let him live with the animals among the plants of the earth let his mind be changed from that of a man and let him be given the mind of an animal till seven times pass by for him. The decision is announced by messengers. The Holy One declares the verdict so that the living may know that the Most High God is sovereign. Here's the key thing. Is sovereign over all the kingdoms of the earth and he gives them to anyone he wishes and sets over them the lowliest of people. So you get this? There's this big king. He's got this kingdom going on, all these great things. He's the head of gold, got all this stuff. And he has this weird dream about a tree getting cut down and then uh, the dew of heaven and all of this sort of thing. So Daniel listens to this dream and he's sad. He's sad because he knows that this is bad news for Nebuchadnezzar. And he's sad for him, which is a weird thing. It shows something of the heart of Nebuchadnezzar. Of Daniel, rather, because because here Daniel had been taken into captivity. He'd been kind of enslaved by the Babylonians. He'd been put into service of the king. And when he gets this interpretation of the dream, and he knows bad stuff's going to happen for Nebuchadnezzar, he's sad for him. And he actually kind of is hesitant to tell him. And, and Nebuchadnezzar can see that he's obsessed. And so he says, "Listen, don't be afraid. I know. It. Give me the shot. What does it say? Tell me what it means." And so and so Daniel then had the courage to tell him what the dream means. You know, it's so important for us if we want to grow as God wants us to grow. It's so important to us to have people in our lives who care enough about us to speak the truth to us, even when it's going to hurt. To have the courage to, to say, hey, Alan, you know, I see this going on in your life, man. And If I'm saying things right, it's not good. Tell, tell me what's going on. Is what I'm seeing right? Is what I'm hearing right? And we need to, it's hard for people to do that. It's hard for you to do that to the people that you love, right? And so what we have to do is we have to invite people who we know love us and care about us, invite them into our life and invite them to speak truth to us even though we know, man, it's going to be tough. But I want you to speak the truth to me because I want to grow. I want to be a person. I want to be a man. I want to be a woman. I want to be a teen. I want to be somebody after God's own heart. So you need to speak the truth to me because there's going to be stuff in my life that I'm blind to. As a matter of fact, there's going to be stuff in my life that I'm blind to and I want to stay blind to. Man, you might be going to have to pull their hands away a little bit before I'll accept that truth. So Nebuchadnezzar has Daniel in his court, and here's this dream, and he knows it's going to hurt. And he says, But no, Daniel, you need to tell me what it is. And so Daniel interprets the dream for him. And it's a tough interpretation. He says, Listen, king, you are that mighty tree. And the birds of the air and the, the animals of the field, they, they sheltered in you. And you, you've got this kingdom and it's spread all over. And even the wild animals are subject to you. And you're providing for everybody. You're this mighty tree. But you're going to get cut down. You're going to get cut down to size. You're not going to be destroyed. There's going to be a remnant of your life there. But you are going to be cut down to size. And the animals that you ruled over, the animals that you had power over... You're going to lose your mind and become just like them. That's kind of why, way back in Jeremiah, it starts off with sowing the seed about being rulers over the animals. It's not by accident that then, in this, in this fruition of the humbling that he's going to undergo, he's now said, But now, you know, you're going to be just like some of these beasts until your pride is broken and you are ready to admit the truth. The central reality that the Most High has authority over human kingdoms, and he bestows them on whomever he wishes, and he establishes them even to the lowliest of human beings. When you remember your place, Nebuchadnezzar, when you forget about how you've risen through the ranks, and now you've got the most prestigious job that you could possibly have, if you forget that I'm behind this, and that... You need to put me at the center of all that you are and all that you do. You're going to need to be humbled. You're going to need to be taken down. You're going to need to have your life reoriented until you remember who really is God. And it's not you. And when you are ready to admit this, then I'm going to restore your kingdom. And Daniel concludes this part by saying, King Nebuchadnezzar, Please, please, I care about you, so I want to ask you to save yourself. Renounce your pride now and turn away from that sinful pride, and then God can restore you. Maybe this good life can carry on. Maybe you won't have to go through the discipline. Maybe you won't have to go through this time. Please, please, turn around now. But Nebuchadnezzar remained blind to his fault. Maybe it was ignorant blindness, but I guess it would need to be probably stubborn blindness. I'm going to carry on my way because Daniel really laid it out for him pretty plainly. And so he doesn't change. And one day he's up on the roof and he's looking down over his kingdom and he's bragging it up. That's the part that we read. He says, look at this kingdom that I built. Look at this amazing architecture that I have put in place. Think of the kingdom and those other rulers that give homage to me. Look at this irrigation system so the fruit can happen. I did it. Look at this way in here. Everybody bows to me when they go through this processional way because they realize how great I am. And he's just sort of bragging this up. And in the middle of this speech, God interrupts. And that very interruption is, is part of God displaying his power over him. Because you see, we don't normally disrupt the king when he's speaking, do we? But God interrupts him. And he says, now this prophecy, this dream, is going to come true. And sure enough, Nebuchadnezzar loses his mind. And he ends up out in the fields like the beasts that he once ruled over. That sounds really harsh, doesn't it? But there are clues in this passage that this act of God on Nebuchadnezzar's life, of his humbling of him, is actually an act of love. At the very front end of it, the whole purpose of it, is not to destroy Nebuchadnezzar. As he said, he preserves the stump of the tree. He, he puts a metal band around it. It's not to, pre, not to destroy Nebuchadnezzar, but instead to mold him into a good king that knows his place. And so it is with us when God comes and brings discipline in our lives. It's so easy for us to think that God is out to destroy us, that God is against me, that God is squishing me down. But what we need to realize is that this is an act of God loving us, caring for us, molding us, shaping us into a person that is better in life. And the other thing that, that really is underscored to show this is an act of love is, that, is this love with which Daniel delivers the message Here is a captive slave expressing statements of love to this king because the love of God is flowing through him. Third thing that shows that this is an act of love is that God gives him ample opportunity to repent. Repent. Uh, The first thing that happens is that Daniel pleads with him. He says, listen, if you don't get it straight, if you don't humble yourself, if you don't understand who you really are and what life is all about, if you continue with this self idolatry with your thinking it's all about you and your kingdom and you're at the center and what you're going to achieve and what you have achieved, if you will repent of that, then it's okay. And then God gives him a year to work it out. A year to think this through. God in his patience holds back, giving Nebuchadnezzar a chance to work it through. Man, I'm thankful for God's patience in our life, hey? Eh? When we begin to maybe a truth teller speaks to us or the Holy Spirit uh, through the word or in a song or in a conversation, and he just sort of said, you know, Alan, you need to, you need to get this straightened out in your life. But I'm going to give you some time to do it. But here's the danger. The danger is that sometimes I mistake the patience of God for me getting away with it. To carrying on with attitudes and actions and desires and and who knows what, that I kind of know they're against Christ, they're against what God wants, but, you know, he hasn't squished me yet, so I guess I'll just keep on going It And I mistake the patience of God for the ignorance of God. We're not quite as dangerous, but it's easy for us to do that in our human relationships as well, isn't it? If we think about our friendships, we think about our employment, we think about our marriages. Very easy for us to, for someone to say to us, Hey, Alan, you know, it hurts me when you do this. It makes me sad when this happens. Hey, Alan, you're not living up to this obligation. Hey, Alan, you're this. And, and, then, and then sometimes I mistake the patience of a boss or a spouse or a friend. And I just kind of carry on, then all of a sudden, it feels like it blows up in our face, and we feel like we didn't see it coming. But the actual truth is, they told us a year ago that something's got to change. But I don't take the opportunity to do it. And I mistake people's patience and grace for me being able to get away with it. But God is patient, and he gives Nebuchadnezzar a chance to repent, as he does with us. And not only that, but it says that he's under discipline for the perfect time. I don't know if you noticed it there, but in this translation, the NIV, it says, you'll be like a beast in the field for seven periods. And that actually is a very good translation. Some of your Bibles will say for seven years, and that a lot of scholars say it lasted for seven years and so on. But, you know, in the book of Daniel, it's a very symbolic book, and, and the number seven is perfect. And really, I think what, what Daniel is saying to Nebuchadnezzar is that, listen, God is going to put you under discipline for the perfect amount of time for exactly the right amount of time for you to learn what you have to learn, for to bring about in the changes in your life that need to be brought about. I'm going to only discipline you because I love you. I'm only going to be disciplining you for the exactly the perfect amount of time to achieve my purposes in your life. No more and no less because these acts of discipline are acts of love. And so this discipline, this loving discipline of God comes upon this pride-filled king who'd accomplished much, but forgotten who was behind the accomplishments. And so he moves into humility. After the perfect amount of discipline, humility is formed in Nebuchadnezzar. Verse 34 says, I raised up my eyes to heaven. One of the scholars pointed out and said, you know, what happened is that before the discipline, Nebuchadnezzar was looking down in authority and power at his accomplishment and the people that he was over and situations he was superior to. He just was sort of looking down at everything. But then in humility, after God disciplines him and he remembers who he really is and who God really is, his eyes look up. And it's this state of discipline that God desires in each one of our hearts. Yes, to accomplish great things, to accomplish many things, to live out our life to the greatest of our ability and our potential and all of those things, but to not be standing in a paraphrase looking down, but instead to continually look up in thanksgiving to the God who enabled this to come about. And so he begins to have humility. And he is, quite frankly, a different man. God has remade his heart as God desires to remake each one of us in this coming year. And it's from this position of humility that Nebuchadnezzar offers up thankfulness expressed in worship. Now listen to the words of the changed heart of this king who used to worship himself, who used to think that everything was about for his majesty, and now he has a heart that just wants everyone to know how great God is. The first little place is, is how he introduces it. it. 4, verses 2 and 3. It's my pleasure to tell you about the miraculous signs and wonders the Most High God has performed in me. How great are His signs, how mighty His wonders. His kingdom is an eternal kingdom. This is the humility of it. I want to tell you these great things. His dominion endures for generation for generation. And now skip down towards the end of the chapter. At the end of that time, I, that's after he'd been as a beast in the field, lost his mind for a while. At the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes towards heaven, and my sanity was restored. Then I praised the Most High. I honored and glorified him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the peoples of the earth, all the people, not just the Jews, but the Babylonians too. This is a pagan king speaking. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold back his hand and say to him, what have you done? At the same time that my sanity was restored, my honor and splendor would return to me for the glory of my kingdom. My advisors and nobles sought me out and I was restored to my throne and became even greater than before. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify not myself, the King of Heaven. Because everything he does is right. Everything he does is right. And his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he's able to humble. Here's Nebuchadnezzar, thankful for what God has done. From giving him a kingdom, to striking down his pride, to restoring the good in his life. And he proclaims that everything that God does is right. And as I read that and thought about that and meditated upon that for a while, I thought it's a question, man, is that my attitude In the midst of circumstances that I don't like, that I don't prefer, that maybe I even resent and I sure wish would change, do I say in humility, everything that He does is right? Or do I find myself saying, Who do you think you are, God, to let this happen to me? Everything He does. Is right, And so as I meditated on this change in Nebuchadnezzar's heart and, and the year coming up and the desire to continue to grow and to mature in Christ and, and to be the, the man and to be the church and to be the, the women that God wants us to be, it really causes me to, compels me to examine my heart going into, this, going into this new year and ask myself some pretty serious questions. How ready am I to be transformed in 2024? I mean, that was tough going for Nebuchadnezzar. And do I have areas of stubbornness in my life and in my heart that even though people who are truth speakers have spoken into my life, I just kind of keep thinking I'm going to get away with it and God's going to have to use a bit bigger of a stick. How ready, really? 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 How ready am I? How willing am I? cooperate with the Spirit in the transformation of my life even if it's costly and do I recognize as I sit in my palace contented and prosperous that I owe it all to God that all good things come from the Father above and I owe him thanksgiving and gratitude for all that is good in my life Am I moved to praise and exalt and glorify the king of heaven? When I survey my kingdom, my life, my way, and the good things that God has has bestowed upon me and brought about, am I ready to really praise and exalt him and lift up the king of heaven with all of my heart and all of my mind and all of my strength and all of my will and all of my being? Do I throw myself into the worship of the king? Do I want everybody to know what God has done for me, including humbling me when necessary? Am I ready to share with somebody some of the tough things that maybe God has brought about as he disciplined me because i got junk in my life he had to clean out, or do I want to just kind of keep that off the table for nobody to know? Am I, am I really willing to, to, to openly, openly share what God has done and even through some of the tough things and how God has brought about goodness from the end of that. Am I ready and desirous for God to interrupt my life and mold me as necessary, trusting that everything he does is right and his ways are just? And how many of the times am I going to be resentful when things don't go the way I think they should go? instead of turning them over to God and say, okay, Lord, what, what is it that you want to do in my life with this situation? Whether it just happened or you brought it about or whatever. How ready am I to trust that everything he does is right and his ways are just? That's hard sometimes. And do I believe that his actions in my life, all of them, are motivated by love. And so I want this year, 2024, to be a year where God changes my heart in whatever way he chooses. These were the lessons of Nebuchadnezzar. And these are the questions that I, at least, have been trying to work through a little bit over the last couple of weeks. Let's pray. Almighty God, uh, you know, we are so incredibly blessed in this land. And most of us sit in a palace, content and prosperous. Because you are generous to us. And we want to acknowledge that all that we have that is good comes from you. And we thank you for that. But Lord, we also realize that with that comes responsibility. Nebuchadnezzar didn't get that at first. He thought it was still just all about him. But really, you'd made him a king to bless other people and to use his power and his authority and his wealth and his position and his status and his social connections and and everything for the good of people around. Lord, we want to be that people we want to have the humility to understand that all that is good comes from you. And we are to enjoy that, but we're to use it for your kingdom advancement. We're to use it to be a blessing and a witness to others. And although it can be a little bit scurry, Lord, because in my mind, I know all that you do is good and right and just and loving. But experientially, sometimes it feels not like that. So I got to say that there's even a little bit of fear that I say, do with me this next year. Do in with me this next year. What is necessary to mold me into the man you desire me to be? And to continue to make me one who remembers who you are, who remembers who I am. And who throws myself into praise and worship because of that? I pray through Jesus, our Saviour, our Lord, our King. Amen.